With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Finally, a global program specifically for wealthy, philanthropic women who are humble, gracious leaders. Sylvia Global's host, Gil Sylvia, invites you to join her in these conversations with first ladies of nations, households, business, and communities. Trustworthy, live conversations with women from around the globe provides a place for your voice to connect with women of integrity, passion, and purpose. Now, here's your host, Gail Sylvia. Hi, good morning. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Um, what a wonderful um, time of year it is for us as we just wrapped up Thanksgiving and at least the, the day that's de- designated in the United States is a time of giving thanks and move into our, you know, our Christmas and our Christmas celebrations. Um, our special guest today is Annette Ross, and we're so thrilled to have Annette here for multiple reasons. Not only is she a mother, um, uh, Annette, you know, she's yes. also, hi, thanks for yes. being here. Thank I, you. I, you're a mother, you are an advocate for women and others' rights with those who have disabilities, and you've also have attended um, Divinity School and started out, um, and I'm sure there's so much more to you that we'll have a chance to talk about. Um, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, tell us, tell us, tell us about yourself as we also stand by to have Cindy Perlman join in the conversation today. We're in Cindy's slot right now, so tell us about your your background and your interests, and then when Cindy joins in, she'll be able to jump right in here with us. Well, my background is. Um I was born and raised in Chicago and pretty much um standard um middle class family and moved to the East Coast with my husband and we had a child and uh, upon giving birth to my second child I had a spinal cord injury with an epidural. At that time I was going to school to Yale Divinity School to get my degree in ethics. And because of the spinal cord injury, I basically everything sort of came to a halt and I was um, thrust into a brand new world of being in a wheelchair, being a mom of two little, the two-year-old and an infant, and um, finding my way through, a, you know, a, surpri- a surprising new, a surprising new world. Spending a significant time in the hospital, dealing with doctors. I mean, the experience was vast, um, but I did, I did get through it. I went on to have two more children, and. Um, sustaining a, a beautiful marriage and feeling like uh, hopeful and got through a very dark place with my faith. How do you <laughs> how do you live faith when you've been studying it the in, in school? How do you how does faith come alive in moments like that? Well, that's really interesting that you would say that because the hardest part for me when I was first in the hospital and that was a dark time was because I was very religious before and very, you know, book well-read on on matters of faith and well-read about theologians and different, 
you know, a variety of, of world religions. I would spend nights in the hospital awake thinking somehow that God was going to appear to me, give me some kind of a sign, let me know that he was really there. And I remember at that time the only line in the Bible that could even come into my mind was, my grace is sufficient for you. Mm-hmm. And I remember also feeling sort of angry, like, wh- where is he now? I mean, sort of my book smarts weren't really enough to get me through. I sort of wanted him to show up for me. Um, and that, it took a very long time of me thinking that maybe he would miraculously heal me to understanding that my healings might come in different ways, that I might have to learn to live with a disability and that God wasn't really sort of a magic rabbit's foot. That was um, that was a tough lesson. That was really a tough lesson. I thought if I had enough faith, and the reason why I wasn't healing and getting up and walking was because my faith was limited and because I didn't have enough faith. And um, I beat myself up about that a lot, but I and then I sort of abandoned the idea that God was even there. And then I opened up my eyes and saw and remembered my childhood, which was very difficult in many ways, and thought, wow, then if he's abandoned me, he's abandoned a lot of other people as well. I am certainly not alone. People have endured this and so much more. And my life opened up in a brand new way. And I see God as so much bigger. As a matter of fact, Sylvia, um, Gail, I've always thought that if I were to write a book, I would call it The God Box, about the little boxes that I put God in. But he's so much bigger, right? He's so much bigger. Um, you know, Cindy's Cindy's here with us. Let me get her in the conversation. Absolutely. Hey, Cindy, good morning. How are you? Hi, ladies. It's so great to be with you, and I'm listening to this amazing story, just feeling, I think we don't feel fortunate for the blessings we have every day, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I am not complaining about anything for forever. That's it. <laughs> you know, you know the, the, the wealth that we have in our life comes in, so many forms beyond just monetary wealth and to hear Annette share about the wealth of her faith, you know, and the, and how that has continued to enrich her life is, is already, um, you know, causing a lot of questions for me to, to want to ask her. Um, Cindy, thanks so much for being here. It's actually your show this morning. <laughs> so, you know, what I love is we never know. We ne- we always do this show with no map. It's like it always takes us where it's supposed to take us. And, and that's why I was sharing with Annette is that, watch, it always works out, especially with Cindy. There's some magic that she brings into the conversation. Um, you know, Annette, why don't you continue sharing with us some more um, about you know, the other dimensions of your life, you grew up in Chicago. Um, you said it, you know, wasn't a, a necessarily an easy childhood. Cindy, you're also from Chicago. I'm sure you ladies have a lot in common. Um, you know, Annette, talk some more. Um, I would think uh, I was actually adopted. I was um, in an orphanage for a little while because my, and that's a whole a whole different a whole different thing, me and my biological mom, but um I was adopted, and my parents had nine children, so five of them were biologically born, and then they adopted four kids. And we were raised on Chicago's South Side. But we had some kids who had issues, and there were some issues on the South Side, um, which is why I had brought up that movie that maybe Cindy has seen called The Interrupters. Um, some drug issues, particularly in the South Side, where we were. We ended up moving further away because there was also some violence. So I would say I, I saw a lot of things, but I always sort of felt that God was there and watching me and even protecting me. And the first time I felt that I wasn't being protected by God was when I had the epidural, was hurt, 
in a way that maybe God wasn't going to get me out of it. You know, I mean, it was a it was a sort of a permanent thing, although I did get a lot of recovery. I worked hard for it. But um I think my I think your ideas of God when you're younger and growing up in the circumstances that I did, they evolve. And they evolve for me. They matured. And in many ways I'm still childlike. I come to God in a very childlike way as my father, but in many ways they've evolved. And and I've sort of grown up. I've sort of grown up and that's been a very important part of my faith today. Doesn't mean I don't believe in the magic. I still do. <laughs> Cindy, what are some of your thoughts to what Annette Sherry? I you know, it's amazing Annette. I've done uh, I've you know, a lot of people from Chicago know I work for the Chicago Sun Times writing showbiz things and other things too. But I've I've written it's funny, I, I've interviewed a lot of entertainers from Chicago who grew up in or in orphanages there. And then <laughs> Uh, that's an, uh, such an amazing journey, and I'll never forget. There was a little boy. I grew up in Arlington Heights, which is a suburb, but there was a family across the street. The mom taught deaf kids in different schools, and she walked into one of the orphanages and and came home with this boy named Charlie. Like a few <laughs> later, and it was just so beautiful because Charlie was such a great, amazing boy. So I just think that that's so. That is amazing to me. But I know from the south side, and it's funny, uh, I don't know if you guys know who uh, Common is. Common is a rapper. Yeah, he's yeah. a really mm-hmm. gorgeous actor. I mean, he's a beautiful guy. I just talked to him yesterday, and he has a foundation for kids on the south side because he said it's it's just so tough. I mean, you have these choices in life when you're very young. Am I going to go with gangs? Am I going to do something different. There's so much peer pressure. So, I mean, I really feel for you. That is not an easy childhood growing up on the south side of Chicago. Well, I think with, um, I think I was very fortunate to have the parents that I had. And I think, Cindy, what you're saying that bothers me the most about the plight of the south side today is it's not just it's choices and also a real prevailing sense of hopelessness. And my mom and dad were foster parents. So after they adopted us, they just took on children sort of in emergency care foster situations. And a lot of the kids were coming out of, you know, you can only imagine, and had been a lot of them abused, a lot of them exposed to drugs and everything else. And I think sometimes it's a lot of desperation and hopelessness that they they don't have, you know, those people who show them love. I think I think even one person who really loves you and gives you a shot can make a difference. I think some people don't have that. I think so, too. And I think it could, maybe it's not a mo- mother or father. It could be a brother, a sister, Absolutely. an aunt. I mean, it's it doesn't have to, some people are not graced with, with a great parent for that, but it could be someone else. But, I mean, my heart just feels for these kids who really have nobody, and it is bleak then. And the ones I interview for the paper are usually the ones who I pulled myself out of it and, I'm now a movie star or I'm a film director, but it always makes my heart hurt to think how many other kids that that never happened to them. They're still stuck there or, or repeating repeating the pattern that they grew up in. You know, well, one that's of why, the, go ahead. Sorry, Gail. Oh, one of the projects that I'm um, committed to is called the Global Call to Action for Women and Girls Health, and we refer to it as the First Ladies of Influence Campaign. And it's the in this particular um, example, it's the first lady of positive influence in our life. 
you know, that mm-hmm. encourages us, that fuels us and gives us that sense of hope and that sense of prevail, a prevailing sense of hope and faith in the midst of whatever we may be going through when there's no other voice saying we can do it. You know, it, it so we often associate, you know, that person with being our mother, you know, the woman who gave birth to to us, but it's not always the circumstance. It, it may be the the older sibling, or it may be the grandmother to someone else, or the neighbor, or the teacher, you know, someone else that influences us. And I think that whether, um, you know, whether it's a visible um, limitation or what's viewed as a disability, that all of us have some type of um, less visible disability where the power of love and the power of a kind word of someone's influence to give us faith and hope to move forward um, is so vital and is what can actually connect all of us. And it doesn't matter if we're, you know, the the entertainer or we're the the quiet person in the back of the classroom. We all need to have someone and we can all be that first person of influence, you know, that helps us to move past those limitations that we otherwise would view as disabilities, you know. And so I think that's a big part of what I'm hearing both of you say. Absolutely, Gail. I mean, it just, I think it's it's tough. I mean, I have a good friend here who fosters kids, and it's, I mean, it's amazing. And I think just a, a little bit of time from anybody who might want to help financially with these programs they might want to help with time or if you can foster somebody or just be a big brother big sister what are just even a little bit of effort can go a long way in a child's life so what you said um Cindy that common is doing with his foundation is is designing a way to use his his life experience and his resources to influence um hope and, and life into an environment where there is this um, predominant sense of hopelessness. And then, you know, as I listen to you, Annette, I, there's a lot that's just running through my heart. So you were adopted. You know, you were in an orphanage. Can you speak some more about that? Because there, again, is this first, who was the first voice of influence for you? Well, I think that my father really, in a way, Mm-hmm. More than anyone else, I was at Catholic Charities. That's where I was. That was the orphanage they had me at. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like, um, of course, you don't know this because you don't remember, right? But there must have been some nun singing me songs about Jesus or something because I've always sort of had this sense, like I said, that God was with me. And then my parents took me on um, as a foster child first. How old were you? I was like two, so I don't remember being in the orphanage. Just knew that I was there, and then my mom and dad took me in as a foster child. I do remember some memories of that, more a little bit later, though, really. Then they had me for a little while as a foster child, and then they adopted me, you know, a few years later. I think they intended to keep me. I don't know why the adoption process took as long as it did. But I think that um, they they saw a lot of different kids there at Catholic Charities. They adopted all four of us from Catholic Charities, and none of, we were not related to each other. Um, and like, for example, my brother, who has struggled with drugs to this very day, his mother was an addict. And I think, and I'm pretty sure she was an addict during her pregnancy. 
and that has been, you know, just a battle for him his entire life. I think that my parents saw these kids and felt like they could provide some stability, a core. And I think my father, um, even though finances were not easy for them, um, always believed in me. That that's basically all I all I can really say is I had someone in my life, even though my mom had a lot of different struggles. And we had we bonded later, you know. I didn't have sort of like that mother thing, but I had a father who really adored me, and made me adored me enough that I always looked for men to treat me right because I felt I felt worthy inside. I felt really worthy. I felt that I was special, and you know he did that for me somehow. I I, I don't know. I, I think it was just his constant. It wasn't giving me things. It wasn't for material things. It was through just you know making the oatmeal in the morning and saying boy you're really you're really something you know he just made me feel like i had something special so i think that goes that's exactly what you said actually i love the phrase first ladies of influence and men how does your husband convey this to your four beautiful daughters Oh, they are cute, but they are something else. He, um, you know, my <laughs> husband, just just for a little thing, just a little side note, which is just humorous to me and to him, is that he is adopted, too. Really? He's adopted from Los Angeles, yes. And when we were dating, we found out that each other were adopted. It's funny, we got married, but we've always said in our married life that there was just something about that for, that connected us. I just think, you know, I don't know what it was. It was, um, it was just an odd thing that we both had that in common. But how does he do that? You know, I think he's truly, again, it's not their material things. I think people think they can give people things and somehow that shows them love. And it does show love. I mean, my husband does provide. But I think he is constantly, um, you know, his warmth of spirit, his giving, he's not too busy for them. He plays. He's sort of made up for some of that with me having my disability. You know, he gets out there and runs around with them. He is so present and accessible to them. We sort of have an open po- open door policy in our room. The girls come flooding in. Um, he's very demonstrative and, and affectionate toward them. And now that my oldest daughter is 14, um, he really listens to her. And I do think she has a sense as well that, you know, um, hey, she has challenges. I've never seen anything like a 14-year-old girl, you know, wanting to have a boy like her. Like, I'm experiencing that with my daughter right now, and that's powerful. And I've seen her do some things that I thought were a little compromising and surprising to me. But I think at the end of the day, she knows her father's love, and she feels self-respect. I do think she feels that. I think she's done some things to get a boy, and I have been surprised. I think, you know, we live in a culture right now that is very um, hard for our girls. I don't have any boys. I really can't speak to that. Um, it's hard for our girls. I will say that. Cindy. I'm sorry. Now I'm getting you yeah. off track, Cindy and Gail. No, no, no actually, sorry. I think actually you're keeping us on track. Cindy, <laughs> you had a wonderful relationship with your father just as I had with my father. And we both recently, um, Annette, this past year, lost our fathers. And, Cindy, you know, what was what was that bond and that influence that, and how did that happen between you and your dad? You know, it's funny, my dad and I were always super close, and my mom was very close to my brother. I have a brother who's six six years younger than me. But it just was a natural bond that we had ever since I was a little girl. He used to, we, I grew up when I was very young in downtown Chicago by the lake, and my dad used to take me for long walks on the beach, and 
you know, it's funny, you always are striving to get all these amazing things in life, but those are some of our fondest family memories when my parents basically had no money, were struggling, young couple with a little girl, and they just, that's all they could do is take walks on the beach. So we used to do that a lot, and we just grew up extremely close. And my dad was someone who pushed you to really excel but in a way where he celebrated when you did. And he he would say, you know, go rewrite that. I don't think you could, I think you could do a little better. He didn't do it in a terrible way, but he was always a, a very driving force. And I'll tell you the reason I never, ever got into any bad stuff was because I couldn't even imagine coming home and telling my dad or, you know, getting in trouble and someone calling my dad. That would just be horrifying. So, you know, it was sort of an unspoken thing, but but we were extremely close, and, and we actually lived together on and off when I was an adult. Um, I travel a ton for work, and when I was single, we have these two big dogs, so it was just easy. We just lived in a big family house that we had in Chicago, but I, I think it's so important, and I've run into a lot of girls who don't have fathers these days, and I can see it's really important for daughters to have great fathers, and if they do, they're really lucky. How does your um, husband and your stepdaughter, how do they connect and bond? Oh, they are like, they are super, super close, and it's it's really beautiful to see. I mean, he is just such an amazing dad. He's such a hands-on dad, and he just, he loves her to pieces, and she just thinks he hung the moon. So it's 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 wonderful to see, and he sits there with her every night and does homework and spelling words, and he really puts in the time. But he also really makes sure that there's wonderful surprises in her life. Like, I don't think she's going to listen to the show, so I can say this, but she's at school. She better not be listening to any shows. But but we're trying to surprise her because we, we live in Nevada, so it's a quick drive to Disneyland. We're trying to surprise her with a quick trip to Disneyland over her birthday, which is New Year's Eve. So she has one of those birthdays that gets kind of ignored by, by people because it's right in the holidays. But, you know, he's always trying to come up with really fun great surprises, which that, I think that's so wonderful, too, because she's always like, ooh, what are we, we going to do today? What's, what's, our, what's our adventure today? And I'll tell you guys, he taught me a really important lesson as a stepmom. I, I, when I first came in, I did what everyone does, which is I thought, okay, I'm going to just buy her all this stuff. I was buying her Barbies and, oh, just everything, all, all these toys, all this stuff. And, and I'll tell you, she didn't like it because it, and I, it got to the point where it was really unsatisfying. And once you just started spending time and doing fun things and taking a bike ride or going for a drive, that was the stuff that counted. And he kind of said that to me for so long. He's like, stop buying her all this stuff. This is not how you do it. So I, I learned that lesson from him. Annette, when you were growing up, how did your mother influence you? Well, she was she was a tough lady, I have to say. You know, she was from the Irish Catholic, you know, regimented um, upbringing herself. So I would say faith for her was in terms of doing, not always with great love, but she she would definitely get the job done. I mean, she was just, she had nine kids. So she was she was a tough woman and she was an organized woman and um our relationship was she wasn't a particularly warm person. I think the main thing that I learned from her was um 
her tremendous, deep, abiding love for my father. They had a beautiful relationship. I can't underestimate what that does to see that growing up. I think it's really extremely important. It's certainly shaped me in many ways. We didn't have the talks like I had with my father. You know, Cindy, you said that about your dad, um, you know, saying things about schoolwork. One time I was really sad about a boy breaking up with me, and my dad said, okay, you've mourned, you know, you're grieving enough now. Get out there in the world and go help somebody. So he was really good at getting me out of myself. You know, I would have those periods of time as a teenager when I'd be sad about something, and eventually he'd say, people in the world need your help. You know, don't. Oh, he wouldn't let me just, you know, for too long. And I love that about him because I think that's why when I got hurt, I didn't stew for very long. I was definitely allowed myself to have my pain, but I was able to pull myself up and keep on going. Um, that's something I think my dad taught me very young and has stayed with me. But my mom, um, the the greatest gift she gave me was the relationship she had with my dad. She loved him completely. It was very beautiful. Um and as a grandmother, she had really softened. So that was beautiful to see her with my girls. Are they she... um, are they still together? Oh yeah, my mom my mom died. Okay. My dad still my dad. I'm lucky to have my dad, and I still can call him to this day with a moral dilemma or any dilemma, but especially a moral dilemma. He's the best. How about your um, your siblings? You know that's a, that's a mixed bag. I think with people that are missing the adopted and the biological. Um, actually, that probably isn't the reason why it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag because of the upbringing, because of the South Side, because of a lot of them didn't go to college. I fought my way through college. My brother struggled with drugs. My other brother had some other mental issues. So, um, But I'm in contact with all of them. I think I know we all love each other. I'm just saying there's been just a lot of different struggles. I think with a family that big, you know, there's going to be – you know, that part of it for them, I think all of their lives haven't really been able to flourish the way my parents would have liked. And I think that's just a heartache for them, for my mom and dad, really. My dad now, but that was hard for them to see. Mm-hmm. Hey, Cindy, um, you know, we have about five more minutes. Any additional experiences that you've had this week that uh, you can share with the audience and add to this conversation? Well, I'll tell you, Gail, what really touched me is I did interview Common yesterday, and Common is in a movie called Love, L-U-V, coming out in January. And Love is about a guy from the he's not, Common is from the south side of Chicago, but it's about a guy from Baltimore. They kind of switched it up. And he's, he just got out of jail, and he takes his young nephew, who's nine, around for a day where the guy's kind of like out of jail, trying to do good, but getting sucked back into the old street life. And this nine-year-old sees it all, and he teaches the boy how to shoot a gun. He teaches him all this bad stuff. And you can just see how, you know, a very impressionable boy picks this stuff up from an uncle he loves and he's so glad to see. So, you know, Common said it's it's really a movie about how you have to break the cycle when people are kids and not introduce them to this life. And so I said to him, well, how do you actually do this? You know, it sounds good to say that, but what do you do? Concrete thing to do. And he had a great idea. He said, and I'm going to quote I'm going to quote him here. He said when you have kids who are on the edge of are they going to do the right thing, do the wrong thing, 
find them something that they can really get into. Maybe it's soccer. Maybe it's drawing a picture. Maybe it's music or writing a song. But if you give them a chance to do something else, most of the time they're not going to do the bad thing. So his thing for, through his foundation is I want to give kids a chance to develop their dreams because then they'll get to a certain age where they'll be like, wait, I'm not going to do this bad thing. It's going to wreck my dream. And that that's the consequence. Like, no, I'm not going to become a singer because I'm going to end up in jail if I do this. So I thought that was really good. He said, you know, to really think about what are kids' passions, educate them, and then help them get into something that's going to divert their attention away from the peer pressure, away from a lot of the things that they might do. And he said that, you know, just keep telling kids that if you find what you love to do and that makes you happy, you have to just keep your, he said, eyes on the prize. And then it's easier to make choices. You'll more likely lean towards your goals and happiness than do something to destroy your dreams. So I thought that was a really nice way of finding something actually to do to help these kids who need some help. Cindy Perlman, as always, you bring something really enriching and insightful, insightful um, for us from, you know, your world in the entertainment industry and the people you have access to and just help draw it together for lessons in our, you know, our everyday life. And Annette Ross, what a special treat to have you join us today. And we hope you'll come back and appreciate your wisdom and your openness to sharing today. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Okay, have a good week. We'll talk again next week. Cindy Perlman, the jury show is 8.30 Wednesday mornings here at sylviaglobal.com. Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.